Let's just turn to to Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing on it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I had this kind of buzzing away. And I was trying to know what to do tonight and where God wanted to really go. And, you know, one of the things about scientists, scientists are always trying to convert things, aren't they? Whether it's for useful ideas or, well, let's put it bluntly, most science started with the idea, how can we make gold? out of nothing. How can we turn something that is base, something that is a basic element, into something that is pure gold? That's where a lot of the scientists' kind of alchemy started. That idea that you could take something that was of very little value and convert it into something by doing some magic or doing some scientific thing that would transform it uh, into gold. And even uh, some the, the scientists uh, on the modern day, they, they were, there were some uh, Christmas lectures that we uh, recorded on the television uh, last Christmas that was uh, literally started with that idea of looking at the periodic table, looking at... Uh, the different processes that chemicals, elements, uh, made up from, and what you could do to them if you could change them with this idea, could you convert lead to gold? You know, could you convert what was a basic, non-valuable metal 
into something that was really worthwhile having. And, uh, you know, of course, the, uh, even the modern scientists, although they can bombard the, the, the nucleus with, uh, and, and make a temporary compound, uh, sorry, a, tem- a temporary element, it instantly decays. It, uh, it doesn't last. It doesn't hold together. You can't shift it for very long into a, a, a serious single element. You can combine elements. That's easy. But to convert an element, a, a periodic table element, to one of the uh, chemical formula, you know, sort of gold or silver, into something else or something into those things, they, the answer was no. There's, there's something of our nature understands the impossibility of that in the natural but how simple it is in the supernatural. That is, after all, what God has done with us. That in coming to Christ, we who were nothing became something. We who were darkness became light. We didn't just shift from now in the glare to not in the glare. It wasn't as simple a movement as that because, frankly, I've just not changed. I've just moved from being in the full glare to out of the glare. But I haven't changed. So to, to change from being darkness, what it says in Ephesians, let's just turn to that. Let's just see it for a moment. If you just turn to Ephesians... Ephesians 5, verse 8, says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So find out what pleases God. There is something about what God has done to us, for us, in us, that changes the essence of who we are. But then we see, as we go back to this scripture in uh, in 2 Corinthians, that was the plan all along. That the glory of God was not just the light shining on on, on a man, a, a supernatural light. It says here, it says the Old Testament, it brought death. And if you read in Exodus, the giving of the law, 3,000 people died on the day that the law was given. And by the way, that's what Pentecost commemorates, the giving of the law. And that's why it was so significant on the festival of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when the spirit is given, instead of the law, then instead of the death of 3,000, we see the born again 3,000. 3,000 came to life with the giving of the spirit, whereas 3,000 fell to death 
It's the giving of the law. That dynamic, the old covenant is of death. It, it demonstrated our total inability to be anything other than what we are, fallen man, compared to the supernatural surpassing goodness of Christ and his nature, that unstained character, that pure nature, that life was in him and death could not overcome life. Just as light cannot be overcome by darkness, but darkness is overcome by light. We switch the lights on, there's no competition. Light changes everything. But when it talks about this here, it says that the, that ministry of the Old Testament was glorious. It brought a transformation that was temporary. That For a moment, people saw something about what man was supposed to be like in the face of Moses. And then painfully had to watch that glory disappear because there was nothing internal that could sustain that glory. God, God's glory could not be contained by a mere man. Our unrighteousness basically causes us to lose that glory. Our inability to hold on to even good thoughts. Have you, you know, you noticed how you know, something that's good, somehow you, f- you can't help but begin to find fault with it as you're around it for any length of time. That's the fallen part of man's nature, that with familiarity comes contempt. We, we don't hold something of great value that we get used to anymore. It hasn't changed. Our attitude towards it changes. And that's why, for us as a people, the presence of God is a critical, crucial part of us living our lives as Christians who actually live in the fullness of the supernatural and not in the ordinary of the natural. Because as Christians, if we try to live natural lives, then the same prayers become boring. The same scriptures become boring. There's no life. I've seen you. I know what you can preach like, Alan. (laughs) You know, there's nothing really particularly useful in you. So let's find another leader. Let's find another set of scriptures. Let's find some more teaching. Let's find something that's going to be new. Yeah? And I know about myself. That's how I feel sometimes about myself. (laughs) But you see, when we understand this, this glory of the new covenant, this glory that we were made for, 
This, this is what we were actually born again for, that we would live with the supernatural spirit making every single moment fresh, vital, and vibrant. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Liberty is not just freedom. It's the full expression of joy, the full expression of life. Where Jesus talks about having life to the full, life to the maximum, life more abundantly. He didn't just mean a little bit more abundantly. He meant this so much more than just shining, you know, multiple lights on me and me wearing white would reflect that light back. But that's nothing compared to the light of Christ in us that God wants reflected out. And if the old covenant, that light in us or on us, fades, but in the New Testament, we are transformed from glory to glory with ever-increasing measure, then what we understand, the more we are in his presence, the more glorious we are and are seen to be. It's not just shining a few more lights on me. But in the absence of things being right, I shine brightly. In the absence. That's what it talks about. Uh, you know, the, this, uh, the momentary trials and troubles that we have. They prove our faith to be more valuable than gold or silver. Even those things are refined, they tarnish. They, they're not pure enough. But us, that presence of God, does something to our character, does something to our nature that makes light from darkness, light from within, light in the midst of darkness. This is what it says. For those who still got their minds on law and legalism... There's a veil that covers the heart. Whereas those who have received Christ, those who put their trust in Christ, that veil, that, that, uh, that, that cover of the heart is removed, which means that the heart can be transformed. Now, we're given a new heart, but sometimes the heart talks about the heart, and it means the spirit of a man, but sometimes it talks about the emotions, the, the, um, the soul, really. Okay, so when we're talking about being transformed from one degree of glory, you can't change perfect to more perfect. So it must be a reference to our soul. If I am perfect then there's nothing more I can be done to me. They can't, I can't increase in perfection. But my soul, with unveiled face, what is it people see? People see me, Alan. They see you. 
They see Christ in you, hopefully, and Christ in me, hopefully. But they see a real person. They see, they don't, they don't see Jesus physically around, do they? They see the body of Christ here on the earth, you and me. And what they're to see is the glory of the Lord in us, that the, the nature and character of Christ, the perfection of Christ being worked into imperfect people, being moved from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory, until when he appears, we're found to be like him. Isn't that exciting? This is Jesus' promise. When he returns, there's one question, will he find faith on the earth? Yes! Because we're trusting in him. We're not trusting in our ability to get everything right. We're not trusting in our ability to pray enough. We're not trusting in our ability to sing the right songs at the right key and get it just perfect. Our trust is in Christ. And therefore, because our trust is in Christ, when he appears, our guarantee, that's why we're given the Holy Spirit, he's the guarantee that when Jesus appears, we'll be like him. We're moving and becoming more and more and more like him. But when he appears, the rest of the transformation process happens in an instant for you. But what it talks about, the Bible talks about this so much. It says, if in the, in the master's house there are many vessels... If a man will cleanse himself from the former things, what's that? The wood, clay, and he will set himself apart for the gold and silver, then he becomes useful, usable. There's something of the refiner's fire that you and I have to allow, embrace, because it's good for us. It's not something that we should ever be frightened of. One of the reasons that worship is so key to the church is because we begin to unlock or open our hearts to to recognize the current reality of Christ right here as Lord in our lives. Sometimes our lives are led in such a way that it's almost as if Jesus isn't here. And and, and so that's why so many people's, their worship starts from outside the throne room trying to work their way in. And of course they can never get there. That's why so much worship is rubbish. Because if it doesn't start in the throne room, you're never going to be able to draw any closer to Christ because you're not in the right starting point. So our worship, this is where we start from glory and we draw closer to the true reality where we really are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We begin to actually... Um, not just mentally, but spiritually, we actually become aware 
that we are actually in the refiner's fire and not outside. And actually, because we're in the fire, he basically turns the heat up. And worship is the unlocking of the here and now and the recognition that we're in the there and now, if you know what I mean, the there and now. Does that make sense? We stop being here on the earth and we begin to see that we're actually in heavenly places. And because we're in heavenly places where the Father genuinely is, our hearts begin to actually allow him to do what he's wanting to do for the last few days with us anyway. That the opening of our hearts... You see, you can do this at home. It's not about being here in church. But the opening of our hearts with worship is the recognition of being in heavenly places. Because heaven... There's no place for preaching in heaven. There's only worship. There'll be no preaching in heaven. Everything focuses on the worthy lamb, the light that shines. And that's where John falls on his feet, at his feet. The Jesus he knows that he's able to say that he loves, that he's loved by, is like he's decked by. He is on the floor in fear and trembling, yet love? Why would he be afraid of love? Because of the total purity, an overwhelming sensation that makes him realize that the attitudes of his heart weren't in full, complete alignment with Christ's love. Just like Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter can only answer back, no, I philea you. I love you with man's preferential love. I'm not going to go back into that, but I just want to remind you of that. The difference between God's kind of love, the agape, and the philea, man's kind of love, is so, it's so poor in comparison that it makes your heart undone, uh, soften. And this is, you know, this is what it says, that the, the words, it says in, in Psalm uh, 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure as silver tried in a furnace, refined seven times. The words of the Lord. God's word to you and to me isn't just t- tried and tested. It's tried and tested and purified, and tried, and tested, and purified, and tried, and tested, and purified, and then several more times more, before it even gets anywhere near us. That's how good his thoughts are towards us. The sum of his thoughts. So, it talks about this in Job. He says, surely there's a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. There's there's places for that. The place for the refining of our hearts is the presence of the Lord in worship, in the place of worship. See, the Old Testament, the priest was frightened to go into the Holy of Holies 
because of what would happen to him if his heart wasn't pure. So once a year, with every kind of precaution taken, what's going to happen next? You can just imagine the guy just going in there. It's like fear and trembling, approaching that throne. Oh my goodness. And yet we, with unveiled face, are supposed to have a confidence that when we enter his presence, or more to the sake, when we recognize his presence, with an unveiled heart, face, that God is going to work exactly what we need. See, with a silver, you put it in a, in a crucible. Uh, uh, silver, it, it's uh, melting point. It is, depending on whether it's sterling silver, is about 900 degrees, 890-something degrees centigrade. But pure silver, it's about uh, 1,200. The difference between sterling silver, which is supposedly pure, and pure silver, actually there's quite a lot. Now, we use sterling silver because we know that sterling silver is, is, is not reactive. It's, it's good. We use it in many things. Silver is, uh, is, is one of the best conductors of electricity. It's just too costly to use it. So they use copper most of the time. But pure silver, it, it's, uh, it's refined from, often from lead. And so you heat this stuff up in a crucible. It's, 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 like, it's like blast heat. It's, it's, it's brought, and the, the surfaces, uh, as everything's bubbling away, all the impurities come to the surface and, uh, and, and they're, they're, uh, they're sco- scooped off or skimmed off. Impurities. And it, that then is repeated and repeated and repeated until there's just there's nothing left. Getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Not, so so the, the reason it starts off slow is to allow those impurities to rise. Because they don't want them in the stuff as it really liquefies. You want it coming to the surface. So that doesn't happen instantly. Time has to be allowed for those impurities to rise. The presence of God, when, our, when we spend time in the presence of God, Impurities start to rise, and it's not hard for us to tackle them. You know, you can, you can have a problem with a brother or a sister or something that's happened to you or, or failure. And you can, you can work at forgiveness. You can, you can uh, try and repent of what you did, or you, you can be praying and praying and praying, but worship unlocks the ability to deal with that in an instant. With unveiled faces, with unveiled faces, we see this. Because when there's an unveiled face, there's revelation can happen. This is what it talks about elsewhere in Hebrews where it says the the word of the Lord is sharp. It divides between spirit and soul. It's like a scalpel going in. It's not some 
blunt sword that's trying to cleave you in half. It's, the, it's that delicate, it's like brain surgeon stuff. It's like, slight tweak here, let's have that. But the effects are immense. There's something wrong in the brain being corrected that you, 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 you just... Well, I, I know my, my father-in-law, he, he, uh, it was something simple uh, in his body. It was much smaller. His gallstone, the gall, gallbladder was removed. It's a tiny little thing. But it's like it, he was 10 years younger. Sometimes when God does this kind of surgery on our hearts, the effects are burdens just lift. There's a joy that returns. There's an ease comes back. But we want prosperity. We want answers. We want help. Yet, the worshipper is laying hold of the king in the place where the treasure is. Yes, prosperity is right. But where is that prosperity? His riches in Christ, in heaven. He has made us rich in every way so that we can abound. So there's something of that place of worship. That's why we concentrate so much on worship. That's why encounter really is not so much a, an agenda even. You know, we, we, we prepare, but we're, we're like, God, we know that even what you've prepared in our hearts, we know you want to do more. You want to go deeper than even I'm ready for. As, a, as the pastor, as the leader, we know it's not just a case of preparing some notes, but we're, pu- we're pressing in to allow you to turn the heat up more and more and more because we know because you've changed our hearts, our hearts are gold, our hearts are silver, so all that's happening is some impurities are, are, are being dealt with. The proving of my faith is not the destruction of me, but the guarantee of heaven. Whenever I approach heaven, whenever I approach the throne, there's someone standing going, my righteousness, my child, the Holy Spirit himself testifying that we're sons. There's never a question mark. The problem is, the, the way the enemy works is to get us, through our failure, to stand to the side instead of standing in the fullness of his light. In the, out on the side, you see, he can confuse us. But right here, in the presence of the Lord, in the full presence of the Lord, it's not, it's not I moved out of the presence of the Lord, but I'm, I'm, more, I'm not quite in the full glare. Do you know what I mean? But in the full presence of the Lord, the queries of my heart, the questions, is it this, is it that? There's just a, that's what's to do. There's a sense of, that's what the Lord says. And that's when the other 
queries, it stops being a question. Should I do this or shouldn't I do that? No, it's, this is the way. Worship is the entry point for most of us in this. By faith, with unveiled faces, we understand that he is the spirit. Yes, that's why it's spirit worship. It's not jumping up and down. Now, what we have to understand is, if you never loose your spirits, and sometimes you have to kind of jump up and down and start to worship the Lord, is actually your you're demonstrating whether you feel like it or not. I'm going to dance before the Lord because I can, because he's worthy, because he is. It's, it's every part of me, spirit, soul, body, is worshipping him. There's a, there's a full involvement. There's no part of me is left out. That's why, that's why when people say, uh, in, in, in the words of the song says, I kneel before you, I find it hard to stay on my feet. I have to. I can't. How can my mouth and my body be doing different things? It's a contradiction. And my, actually, my spirit is like, should I, shouldn't? You know, there's a, a tussle goes on. So I, whenever we sing, I kneel before you, you'll see me kneeling on the floor. Not because I'm trying to prove something, but I want my mouth and my body and my spirit to be in complete agreement. I lay all before you. I might lie down. It's not to prove anything to you, but it is of my heart of surrender that I know Lord, I am, I'm saying with my body, with every part of me, spirit, soul, body, there's not any part of me that's going to be in conflict with this that I know about. And if there is, I know as I'm before you, you're going to do that adjustment. You're going to refine that. You're going to, you're going to peel that bit out. And that's the... But there's an ease in that because it's with unveiled faces we reflect his likeness from one degree of glory to another. The word of the Lord is sharp between spirit and soul. Some of these things are so, they're almost so minor in my attitudes. But they're so major with the Lord. I, I thought that was one of the, 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 the best analogies that the Joneses came out with, that, that, that uh, our walk with the Lord, as, as we go higher, it's like a ladder that is a, almost a triangle shape. That the further you go up, the less options there are, and the, fo- the bigger the fall. So that it is okay to, uh, for the brand new Christian, sort of, if they are getting drunk and turning up to church the next day. But it is rather strange if I do. I thought that, I just, you know, that was, that, that, that's, that rung right, didn't it? But if we're serious about God, then we can't be in church some Sundays and then, ah, like Pastor Claire said this morning. It, either, either we're for God, and he is the key around whom our lives 
are set. And nothing gets in the way of being in church. Or we are occasional Christians, really. Because we know what the scripture says. So the scripture says, I was glad when they said, let's go up to the house of the Lord. For us, who have been Christians for a little while, is that the case? Are we still glad when it's time to go to church? Or is it, yeah, here we go again. And of course, the, the, the honest answer is even for me, sometimes actually, here we go again. But until I get here and I begin to worship, and my heart changes very, very quickly. And I just thought how funny it was this morning, Psalm was exactly that. The wicked don't have these problems. They don't have these struggles. They don't have this. They don't have that. They're rich. They don't have problems. Until I entered your sanctuary and I saw their destiny and I realized I'm a brute beast before you. See, the thing about God's presence, priorities suddenly get back into right alignment. We see from the right place. Our hearts stop querying and questioning what happens and we refocus on the one who delivers us from every issue and every problem. We stop seeing people as the problem and we realize flesh and blood is not what we wrestle against but powers and principalities. Okay. So from the throne room, we're able to then pray into the right stuff from the place of authority. When we're trying to pray from the earth, we're trying to pray against powers and principalities. We're trying to beat off the rain, so to speak. And we wonder why it's ineffective. We'll rant and we'll grave and we'll scream in tongues and we'll... Ah! Because we're in the natural trying to do what is a supernatural thing. Prayer must start from the throne, from the place of authority... Our place of authority is not on the earth. Our place of authority is in heavenly places. And from there, whatever is bound in heaven, we combine on the earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven, we're able to loose on the earth. But if you don't start from heaven, you start in the natural, not the supernatural. So that's why. You know, tonight, as we were just singing holy, and just as we were pressing in, I just really felt the sense of the refiner's fire, that refining fire. Are you malleable? Are you moldable? Are you soft? Are you someone that can be shaped by God, and he can change what you are today uh, to what you are tomorrow? Can that be different? Because if he is the potter and we are the clay, that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about the adapting of us by him for the circumstances, not us telling him, I thought you said I was going to be this. Even though what he said was good, 
We, we, we're not, no, 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 no. I thought you said this is what I was going to be. I like this. And yet, most of the time when I've released that, he's given me something even better. But the next time he tests me on that, I still hold on to what he gave me second time round or third time round, and I don't want to let go of it in case, will he really give me a fifth thing, sixth thing, tenth thing that's even better? Because my heart needs the presence of the Lord to not go hard. I'm designed for glory. I'm designed for heaven. Without heaven, everything else fades. 